Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. This week on Unpacked, we're changing it up a little bit. I met with my sister, Artis Fote, a funeral director in the city of Calgary, and we discuss grief as she shares a little bit about what she has witnessed in her job and also in her life. We jump back and forth using scripture to make comparisons to the Easter story and chatting about how important the process of caring for the body was. I share a little bit of my own story of grief when I lost a childhood best friend, what I learned about grief, about healing in that time. And to be honest with you, it was a challenging one for me as I found myself pouring out my heart to my sister. Anyways, I hope that you enjoy. Please like and subscribe. The podcast has been really fun. We're we're, we're adding a bunch more things and we've yeah. done a bunch of different topics. And because of what I've been doing in terms of reading about emotions, what I've been trying to do when I'm reading my Bible is to pay more attention to the emotions that the different individuals would have been experiencing. We don't read the, the Bible or especially the Easter story, like with, with an accuracy of what was actually happening. And the reason why is because we have, we have the gift of hindsight. Like we know how the story ends. So, so when we read the story of the women going to the tomb, we know that they're going to get there. And Jesus isn't going to be there and there's going to be an angel and it's going to be this like oh, thing <laughs> and they're going to be super excited and Jesus is going to be risen from the dead. And so we read it like that. Like that's how we actually read it. Yeah. But this is not how they experienced it. No. For them, the emotions and the, the roller coaster of emotions that they very likely were on was out of control it was it was immense grief and trauma and like all because they had watched him be crucified like all these horrible things that happened actually yeah yeah (laughs) not light stuff. (laughs) no not light stuff at all and so they're going to the tomb in a sense to fulfill their their duty Mm -hmm. to in some way be a part of this grieving process will they do that like it was terrible and actually to be honest like here god is doing probably the most amazing thing and they are in total chaos and that seems to be the way it is right that god is often doing like some big things while we're going this doesn't seem like god has any control or any say over anything and yet he was doing like his, his most incredible thing. I just listened a little bit to Mark and I think Matthew and just compared the two and they're very different. Like one oh, of them, yeah. the angel is already in the tomb when the ladies show up. The other one, he's sitting on top of the stone. Uh, one talks more about how, was it James? The rich gentleman that actually went and got his Jesus body and shrouded him and everything. Mm-hmm. And he was in his tomb. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's not even in Matthew. Like it's very, yeah. maybe it is, but it's just very differently 
portrayed. Yeah. And Mark does a strange thing. Like he is not the typical God. Like he isn't the same as the other three gospels at all. What's really fascinating about Mark is he actually ended his gospel at verse eight. And then later on, they found another transcript of that gospel and they either added or they found another nine verses, which really kind of caps up. Oh, and then Jesus came into the temple or he met them in the upper room, <laughs> like all those things afterwards. Yeah. So in my Bible, even in my like new version of the Bible that I have, that I use, the last nine verses are in italics. And scholars are now saying that they don't actually believe Mark wrote those last nine verses. There's a sense that what I, what I, what I wanted to kind of do was just like, I did a little research again, just to refresh my mind on grieving mm-hmm. and like, what is grieving, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I took two quotes and the first quote that, that grief carves a hole or creates a vacancy that for at least the most intense moments feels like it'll never be filled again. Mm-hmm. That's the first quote that it, it, it carves a hole or creates a vacancy in our life, in our, in who we are that at least in the most intense and first parts of grief, it feels like we'll, we'll never be filled. And so when people are mourning, they're mourning this like vacancy in a way that's there. And then, then the next quote, which I really love, I stole it off of a podcast that grief is love looking for a home or grief is, is love looking for a new home even is Mm -hmm. another way of looking looking at it. So here are my questions for you. As a person who helps plan, do all these, like all the funeral things, like what is a funeral for? What what comes to mind? Well, first off, I'll start by saying I'm a baby in the funeral director and bombing into like profession two years in with the, you know, basically two years of schooling. And I still feel like every day you learn something new about people. I don't know if there's a certain one thing that's the most important part about having a funeral or a celebration or funeral mass, but I think it's to support the living and to remember the decedent and the loved one and just to start the healing process and the grieving process because with no service and with no celebration or even a moment of pausing, then you kind of deny that it's happened. And what that does is it just prolongs the process because it's going to come at some point. Grieving is going to hit you no matter what. If you've lost someone or something that you care about, you're going to grieve that. And the funeral viewing of your loved one, those kinds of traditions, I guess, are the beginning steps of that. So there's a lot of layers to the importance of a a funeral service. Mm -hmm. And you use, funny, you used, one of the words you used was celebrating. What does celebrating the life of a loved one mean? I think celebrating is taking all the things about a person and about their life that you want to remember more so. But there's lots of people that talk about parts that aren't good of their loved ones that have passed. And I think that's good too. Usually that's where you get some of the, the good laughs and the service. And it's just a time to come together and to support each other, I think, as a community, as families gather, different religions, commun- like supporting each other, different cultures supporting each other. It's, 
it's a very unique experience that doesn't happen anywhere else. I don't think in our society. That's been really hard during COVID because we have had to change a lot of things for families and we can't provide some of what we've always provided. And it's, it's really hard on families. You see the importance of how important it actually is for families to have their community and have support be around each other. And when that's taken away or modified a lot, it, it, it can be really difficult. They don't get that chance to gather in a large group to celebrate, to look at old photos and videos and talk about all the memories. I think that's a big part of services. A lot of times after funerals, even tradition, traditional funerals, you would think of what we would do here. You would have a, a reception afterwards, things like that, where people tell stories and get to just find out more about that loved one's life that's passed on that you would never have known. And that is not happening right now as much, or it's very different. You know, we're trying the best we can to provide what we can, but we have to follow all the new changing rules. <laughs> so like, in a way, some parts of how we've traditionally done funerals or mourned or grieved in Canada in particular, mm-hmm have been interrupted. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's this interruption in the grief process. I think very much so an interruption. And then you add in another layer of loved ones that can't go in to be with the dying in those moments and mm-hmm. so some people aren't even able to be with them as they pass or before to be able to have those final moments with their loved ones that's really important for some people that even that step is being missed. And I think it's going to take quite a while for our society to kind of realize the repercussions of some of that in a way. What's been Mm -hmm. lost, you know, Mm -hmm. by not being able to do some of the things that you, you would hope for. Like I know for me, like just as I've walked with people, you know, as a pastor, as I've walked Mm -hmm. with people through, through funerals, I always see it as like a big part of my job is to essentially be this person who, who mines for stories of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that when I meet with families and we talk about who they've lost, I think that's probably as important doing that with people as it is doing the service to go and be with the family and go, tell, tell me about this person. Like, tell me, yeah. tell me about the, the vacancy mm. that them not being in your life anymore, physically in your life anymore leaves i find it it's probably one of the most moving and like holy things that i get to do even for us you know this morning as we get ready to talk about we see these women heading to the tomb they're in the process of grieving and so i'm wondering what stories were they telling each other as they went to Mm -hmm. the tomb and what what did it mean for them to like anoint the body and do the spices and do all of these things? Like this was obviously a part of their grief process. When you first decided to go into this profession, mm-hmm. I very clearly <laughs> remember, I didn't know exactly where we were. And I was like, what, what exactly is making you interested in doing this job? And at the time you were, you were more interested in like taking care of the body doing the embalming, prepping this body, these bodies. What about that was calling you <laughs> to, uh, to this particular profession? I'm sure you get asked a lot. It is interesting because I haven't really come up with a concrete answer yet for that. 
even though I have been asked quite a few times. And when I started looking at funeral care, I had, we had many friends. We had lost, I think, 10 or 11 friends of ours had lost parents or loved ones in that year, uh, you included. And I think just being, seeing friends grieving and going through that process and then going to a funeral where there was a viewing and seeing my friend in the casket. And I just thought I could do that. (laughs) I could help care for somebody's loved one. It wouldn't bother me to clean them and wash them and do their hair and make them look peaceful for that last viewing for their loved ones. It is a very sacred thing. I think that we do. Also, Josh reminded me, I'm a very visual person. And so if somebody doesn't look their best, it really does affect me. Like it's upsetting to myself. And I think some colleagues, when we can't have somebody look the best that we can do for their loved ones, because we know how important it is. And also, I think it gives families a sense of peace. There's been a lot of times where we think somebody doesn't look their best and the family comes in and they're overjoyed at how good they look and peaceful and they look better than they looked before they came to the funeral home to see them. And it's almost a sense of relief, I think, especially to families who've lost loved ones through long illnesses because they're grieving before the person dies. That grieving process is already starting and then they feel bad and guilty. Sometimes there's different emotions. I think that come with a long process. There's different things I think that the family get out of that, even though it's extremely hard, but it's a different thing than those that have lived a long life or that have suffered a long time. And then, then you see them peaceful. So it's two different kind of things and both are extremely important. And I will say some of the bravest moments I see in people and in it's when they walk into the room to view their loved one. It's not easy. But it's it's brave. It's very brave. And it's it's humbling sometimes to be in the presence of somebody that's doing that to uh, hand somebody their baby to hold for the last time. Or just to say goodbye to somebody that they haven't seen for a long time. Because sometimes mm-hmm. people don't get to see their loved ones for quite a while. And especially right now with COVID, there's lots of families who haven't been able to be with their loved ones. So that final viewing is really important. Yeah. So I got to, I got to pick up on something. So if you imagine yourself being these women (laughs) who are making their way to the, to the tomb and they're doing what needs the duty that needed to be done to take care of Jesus's body. Yeah. It's gut wrenching. It's Mm -hmm. hard and difficult. And yet you see in these women, their bravery, really, as they make Mm -hmm. their way there. And they don't have all the answers and they haven't figured it all out. In fact, you know, they're saying that who's going to roll the stone away? How are we going to do this exactly? And, and they get there and they have this weird experience. I don't think it gives them exactly what they needed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or, Or for sure, not what they expected. No, right? it would have like, been horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it, would it would have been, been really, horrifying, right? It would have like, been very traumatizing. Yeah. And then and then and then to have to leave that place without mm-hmm. answers. And and I'm I am assuming many people leave funerals without answers. So yeah. so that may not be new, but for them, the importance of where Jesus' body had gone must have been 
scary must have been, well, just so many things. And then yet this was Jesus. And so there, there was weird stuff happened around Jesus when he was alive. (laughs) And so there, there may have been these little bits of hope yeah, and also fear and also all of these kinds of things. So how has, oh, here's a, here's a trick question for you. You're two years in, you know, you go to work and you work among the mourning and the grieving. How has that changed your perspective on life? Well, could you ask a smaller question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my perspective on life. I, I mean, obviously we say you don't know when your moment is that you're going to be taken or, or not be here anymore. But I think in one sense, when I first started, I think part of what started me down this road is I started being afraid to die, which was weird in a way it's common, but it's an odd thing coming from a believer, knowing what we're promised after death. And I just was like thinking there's still so much I haven't done. There's so much I want to do and to love people and my family, but yet that hasn't really made me change how I, I live completely. And it's also hard to say because with COVID in the last year, it's everything's different. So I really enjoy seeing all the different um, cultures and religions and how they support each other during the grieving process and through the process of caring for the loved ones. But essentially they have similar qualities to them. So it's more of a spirituality is not always the same as religious or culture, but they're all kind of tied together. And I've always been a kind of person that looks at the world, I think a little bit with a different lens. It's easy for me to love people to automatically like them. It, it, it's maybe what makes you suited so well for it. Yeah, maybe. Like, yeah. I think, I think, like this is this is just something I know to be true of you. Before you started this occupation, is that you are a loving, caring person who is is capable of accepting people where they're at and letting yeah. them come into your space, whatever that might be, whether it's your home or just the way you're engaging people out in public. You you personify like you are the kind of person that I think people feel calm around and and capable of being themselves around i think that's a god-given gift i don't think everybody just naturally is good at that when you told me that you wanted to do this i that was one of the first things that came to mind was that your heart for people to care for people especially people who are suffering has always been true Mm -hmm. and so in a sense it really does seem to me to be a living out of your calling and, and honestly, to care for people at their worst moments, you know, yeah. to be present there and to be calm and, and not, not anxious and not all those things, or at least not give people the impression that you are. And I'm like that too, right? Like there's I, a lot of anxiety, like, but yeah, you try to, yeah. it doesn't help them if you're uncomfortable. So I guess we just do our best to be whatever the family needs us to be. When people are, when you're grieving, everything is heightened. Every emotion, every mistake, every word somebody says, and that's it's always heightened. a fear. Yeah, that yeah. I'll say something stupid, which I'm sure I have. Well, and this this is what's so interesting, you know, even saying just how important it 
the weight of doing everything perfectly in these moments is really, really important. And then, so then we jump right back into this biblical story and nothing about what was happening was perfect. Yeah. They weren't even able to send him off. Well, you know, now here his body is missing. It would have been extremely, extremely upsetting to the women and to all of Jesus friends and people that knew him because there's definitely cultures where what happens to the decedent's physical body is really important and the the timing of how things happen whether it's um, burial before sunset whether it's uh, shrouding or using different types of water or oils uh, there's prayers that are said over a person's body there's a lot of different cultures that the physical body it's really important what happens to that vessel even if they believe that the spirit's gone the vessel it's important they're treated with dignity and respect and just following the steps that are laid out is important it would have been very important as well as for the women they were bringing spices i know that there was a nail that shrouded Jesus' body, but the spices would have been important for how his body was being treated. And it's sacred, but also the desecration of the human body is really not a good thing. And spices Mm -hmm. were important to keep you smelling good. It was a lot about smell (laughs) with what they were doing. Like some of the other traditional things and the the steps they would have done would have already been done, but the upkeep to make sure that he is still presentable would have been important. It's no, it's no wonder, right? They leave the, they leave mm-hmm. going trembling and bewildered and then ultimately afraid yeah. and afraid to the point where they didn't tell anyone or they didn't want to yeah. tell anyone what had well, it happened. Me, right? It does make me question if that was part of the women's job in those days as well. Like mm-hmm. after all this, were they the ones that upkept? did the upkeep of the physical body after they're shrouded and then maybe they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And then you Mm -hmm. layer in that that's her son, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a big, yeah, it's, it would have been very, very upsetting. The whole thing would have been upsetting, but even to, in the very end to not be able to do what culturally you were expected to do, it would have just been the end of, a really bad few days like it, it yeah. nothing went right they couldn't even do the death right <laughs> yeah you know like they couldn't yeah. even do the rituals at the end and that would have been super upsetting <laughs> yeah yeah it, it certainly changes how we experience easter morning one of the things i found is really, really interesting and i said this in the message was like wouldn't it have been great if we would have gotten in the gospels like a write-up from the second easter like what they were, you know, 365 days later when they looked back yeah, and went, wow, that was quite the story that happened last year. You know, you know, your Facebook memories pop up all the time. Yeah. Tell us what we were doing, you know, a year ago. And right now they're all pandemic related for me. And it's like, but I, but I, I, I wish in a way that any of the gospel writers had given us a glimpse of what happened a year later. Like we do get glimpses of what Mm -hmm. happened in those, you know, 30 days and and some of that time following Jesus being raised from the dead. But, 
but we don't hear like uh, a year later hindsight of like what yeah. where was Mary Magdalene then you know right. and what what was she thinking about this experience of this honestly terrifying morning mm-hmm. it was I I'm sure it was as traumatizing as watching him be crucified like here you are a part of that story now that yeah. you went there to to do your your responsibility to mm-hmm. say say goodbye well to you know like you said care for this body and then it's the whole process is circumvented it didn't get to finish yeah yeah he's not even there yeah so anyways i i do wonder about that and and i do think that it's like how could you possibly have the presence of mind to go oh god must be doing something miraculous right like in the midst of all of that it's like how could you possibly be thinking yeah god's at work doing some beautiful thing you you know i would say that's a pretty rare thought of anybody that's just lost a loved one especially in such a traumatic way yeah i don't think that's something that just goes away and i think grief doesn't go away i think grief stays with you your whole life especially depending who you're grieving it changes people and it's not good or bad. It's just, they're different after you experience extreme grief, I think. So I think that's that, that quote, you know, grief, grief is love looking for a home, Mm -hmm. you know, we're looking for a new home and maybe there's a part of how we grieve that, that we may never fully complete in this lifetime and i i know i heard somebody one time it was on uh also uh maybe it was a podcast and they said we're comparing grief to a form of worship you're gonna think of when you're worshiping how you're calling out to god you're praying you're remembering you're thanking your all the emotions that we do when we worship we also do a lot when we grieve and it's such a raw it's a raw place to be in and you need, you need God in that time. I think we, and you need others. And I thought it was an interesting comparison. That's fascinating. Like (laughs) the authenticity, like maybe that's one of the things that's so profound about grieving and, and hopefully about worship is that there is a sense of authenticity to it that can't be fabricated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't make it. Yeah, your sadness, your questioning, your like all of those things are kind of right there. Yeah. They're just right there. Front and for, <laughs> yeah, and you can't pretend to make them something that they aren't. And and I, I would say like even as I watch like I think about what it was like. So for me the most intense grieving thing I ever had to do was when Eric passed away. The loss of my best friend. And and I would say there was a few others that were close seconds that I had to that I had to actually even do my job and be a pastor yeah. at. But when I think about that, and I think about what I didn't want to do when I, when I went to grieve and say goodbye to him. Um, and one of those things actually really was, I, I did not want to see his body and yeah. that, that experience. And, and the only reason why I ended up seeing his body, to be honest with you, was because I was, was forced to, yeah. To love his parents, 
to yeah. love his parents was to go through that hard thing and the bravery that was required to walk to the front of this little chapel in Kenora and, and see him laying there and stand next to his parents. And, and I still remember the questions they asked while we stood there. Yeah. And, and he looked good. Yeah. And there were still all kinds of questions around it. And like grieving catches you, there isn't a way to just not grieve. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think I tried. I, I actually think I gave it a good solid, you know, B plus of a try to avoid grieving. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I've said this, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but it's like, I went home, like home being to Norquay with this intention to be like strong, faith-filled pastor type who is saying, honestly, saying stupid stuff. Now, when I think back about how we would honor him and we would be confident in where he is and all of these kinds of like very definitive statements about that he's in heaven and he's better off there. And like, I remember saying all these things to my friends, really trying not to cry in front of Mm -hmm. everybody, really just trying to be this stoic person. And that was in May. And then I came back here to Alberta and I was fine all summer long. I, I say fine. I, I don't can't remember what it was like. Yeah. And then fall came and harvest came and he was this farmer. Yeah. And when harvest was over in years past, he would make a trip out to Alberta to see us just hang mm-hmm. out and have some fun out here, whatever we, we could get into here in Alberta. And when he didn't come that fall, then I realized how heartbroken I was. Yeah. And it felt like everybody else had already grieved. Like everybody mm-hmm. was done. And here I was just starting, you know? And I, I think yeah. that was like, that was when I started actually grieving and really recognizing he's gone. Then I just, I think that's when I realized there was a vacancy mm-hmm. and the vacancy is still there. It's certainly filled with some great memories and stories and all of those things now. But yeah, the loss of my best friend was traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you can't get away from it. That's the thing with grief. You cannot yeah. physically get away from it. The, yeah. you, like you said, you try to switch roles and be the supportive one. And then it still, it still gets you. <laughs> it yeah. just sometimes takes longer than others well and then and what was what's crazy about it is that with that came you know with the him not coming in the fall that's actually when I started having my faith crisis that's when I started going okay God so you maybe aren't as in control as you appear to be and maybe you're (laughs) not as good a God as you say you are and maybe I don't actually believe in you right like Mm -hmm. that's actually when those questions started. And I think what's interesting about it all was that I think at, at that time, I really felt like that was a journey I had to go on on my own because it felt like everybody else was done. 
Like I, I often think about this for people when I do funerals, who will care for them five days after the funeral? Who is going to come and ask them to continue telling the stories of their loved one? And who is going to, you know, all of those kinds of things, because that's, that seems like when it would be the most lonely and the most difficult and the most challenging and some of those kind of things. And maybe that's the role of pastor. Absolutely. That's the role of church or friends. And, and that's, anyway. yeah, that is something that we kind of learn about a little bit when you're in school is that people are still in shock typically when we're, when we're doing services and, and helping them in the ways that we help them. And sometimes once that shock wears off is when they actually need more support. Yeah. And I think I've talked a little bit when we were talking on the phone the other day about different cultures and how they are, they differ in their support, even how, like say the Jewish have the Hebra Kadisha is there. That's the volunteers within their community that do what I do. And so we get to work with them, but that's what they do. And as well as the Smaley community, they have people that do their funeral they do that's what they do and we just assist them with what they need from us and even first nations they most except for where COVID has interfered they still have wakes we still they do wakes and and their doors open to community members to come throughout the day and night and there's a lot of cultures that still that still do that I think we maybe don't do it well enough <laughs> there. I think you might, you might be onto something there. And the more and more people are able to hear what, it, what it means to grieve, what it looks like to grieve the more and more, I think that, you know, the next time, or maybe they're in a state of grief right now, mm-hmm. they enter back into that. There can be a sense of calmness that, that actually grief is normal mm-hmm. and it's required and it can't be avoided that it's just a part of the human, human experience, finding community, finding family that will walk with you through those periods of time is what God made us for, right? Is to be present with each other as we suffer and as we work through grief and and mourning. So it's it's kind of a beautiful thing. Everything comes down to connection. Mm. (laughs) Walking with people in their emotions, connection. Working your way through the, the healing process of an addiction comes with connection, not just with God, but with like your community of people. Yeah. Trauma, the only way to make your way through trauma, trauma, whether it's childhood trauma or like, is connection with people. And uh, yeah. like that seems to be wow. the universal yeah. way that we experience healing. Mm-hmm. And grief would be no difference, right? Like when we experience extreme sadness, we have an instinct to, to withdraw from community. Back to like the funerals, we don't run over to somebody with a tissue the minute they shed a tear because it's basically saying you're not allowed to cry. We have them everywhere so that, yes, they're there for you, but it's one thing you have to learn. It's like, no, like we don't want people to feel like they shouldn't cry. It's just... Yeah, and in a way, you're a funeral, you're not there to cheer them up. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, like that's in fact, not, it's, it's disrespectful to try. Right. So, yeah, it's not your yeah. role for me. What I have learned about like pastoring people through funerals is, is this like the Catholics call it a ministry of presence that, that really, mm. that 
that I am providing a, a ministry of presence and yeah. you don't have to be something you're not mm-hmm. for my sake. That, that applies for the moments when I'm at the hospital with them yeah. as they, as they let someone go yeah. as much as it does when I'm planning the funeral or we're performing the, the, the service or the internment or whatever that might be that it's like, mm-hmm. so it, it probably still stands as one of the most holy things I get to do as a pastor is to be present with people in that. And then taking on with what you said, um, there was also another when I was going into this, another podcaster I like, and she, people ask how she does what she does day in and day out. And she said, you have to remind yourself as a professional, not my family, not my grief, so that we can do our jobs well and serve our families well. I think you touched on something really important too, because for me, the word that comes to mind there is that grief is vulnerable. Right. Like yeah. I, I talked about this before, how transparency and grief or sorry, transparency and vulnerability are aren't the same. Right. Yeah. Right. And and there can be a transparency about what I'm going through or how I'm helping somebody go through something. But that is just being truthful about what's being seen. Vulnerability is allowing people in an in close enough that they might actually help you heal and grief is vulnerable. So if you can't be vulnerable, grief, grief gets circumvented and extended, you know, and, you know, I think back to, you know, back to the story we were just telling, I think that was a big part of that was that it was like, I was okay to be vulnerable with those who were very close to me. And you were one of those people, but pretty much everyone else, I was not, I wasn't really open to having them in. Maybe you pull away because your grief is so heightened that your body needs to protect it. Yeah. The gift of letting people be themselves in our presence is probably one of the most important things we can do uh, at, in all areas of life, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The gift of being yourself when you come into pres- into somebody's else's presence it's like then why do we think we have to be perfect before we approach god like when you look at the whole story of how jesus interacted with people and all this he never ever asked people to be something that they weren't so hey (laughs) this has been so great i'm grateful for what you do i really am and i'm proud to be your brother and i i love that you you're using your gifts to love people